Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, this is Christina from Latinas with Masters podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us today because I have a very special guest who's been on my calendar. Um, and I've looked forward to this day to talk to Doctora Erika Montes. Um, she is a board certified OBGYN, a mother of three beautiful kids, and the creator of Modern Mujer, which is a women's health blog dedica dedicated in educating and motivating women on health, medicine, and empowerment. Please welcome Doctora Erika Montes to the Latina with Masters podcast. Thanks, Christina. I appreciate you having me on here. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you and, and all the ladies that are listening. Thank yes, you. My name is, thank you. So yes, my name is Erica Montes. I am originally from Texas, but I do practice in um, Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona. I have been in private practice now for eight years and I focus on taking care of women who are pregnant and also who have gynecological issues, but I really have a special interest in minimally invasive surgery. And that's pretty much everything about me. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Erica. Um, as far as like your family, are you the first one to go to college? Are you the first doctor, doctora in your family? Tell us a little bit more about your background there. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> my parents, we grew up in, I was born in El Paso, but we grew up in Dallas. And basically we, um, I'm, a, I'm the oldest daughter of three. We, all, we had three girls in our family. Um, my parents did not go to college. My mom did take a couple classes here and there, but she never completed her degree. So you could say I'm a first generation uh, college student. I actually am the first doctor in my family. Um, I do have a lot of family members in medicine. I have a couple tias who are nurses and, and my sister, one of my youngest sisters, a nurse, and she's actually a nurse practitioner school right now. But um, as far as a medical doctor, I am the first. Wow, that's amazing. How, how did that feel when and we'll definitely talk about your transition into medical school, but how did that feel? Like once you've experienced everything that you experienced, um, you know, as a Latinx, as a Latina, um, how did that feel when you finally received that, that piece of paper, right? That degree that, that certifies you, right? That I can yeah. give medical advice. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, you know, it was a surreal moment because when I, that day on my graduation, I basically just, realize everything that I accomplished and everything that I had to sacrifice to get to that point. And I have a picture on my, on my feed, on my Instagram feed of me just kind of like, woo, you know, <laughs> I made it. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think the thing about going into medicine that, that, you know, everyone has to realize is it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's definitely a long journey. So it's not some type of instant gratification. And you kind of, you know, you kind of just have to kind of let each year pass and you soak in as much as you can. It's, you know, it's four years undergrad, four years of med school, and then four years of your residency training. And some, some people do actually seven or more years of, of post 
med school training, depending on what specialty they go into. So you have to kind of look at it as a long-term goal that you're, that you want to reach. And it's definitely not for someone who, who it's hard to keep that goal in mind because you just, you just have to realize it's going to take forever. This is the long haul. This is what it is. And, and, but you know, once you finish and you get there, you still will have to do a lot of testing and a lot of preparation for you know everything new that's coming out of medicine and it's a great time to be in medicine so for anyone who's considering going into the medical field I mean this is a, a beautiful time to do it but um, you do have to kind of think about it more as a long haul kind of goal and 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 it'll and you'll get there eventually you know I admire what you said that this is a long-term um, commitment right it's a journey and I admire that because I admire and I appreciate that because I know, you know, as a patient, you know, that needs medical, um, you know, right. uh, services like anyone else, you want to feel comfort and, and secure that, you know, the person that's giving you medical advice, you know, went through all of these, you know, um, training, training and, and schooling and whatever that they needed to do to be an expert in that field, right? In that, in that practice of medicine. Um, and that's the same thing goes with mental health and public exactly. health and counseling. So, you know, there's certain, um, you know, industries and, um, and degrees that, yeah, it, it's not going to be instant gratification and you will right. continue to have to get a dis additional hours and a additional certification and that's okay. Exactly. Um, you know, it's not a race and, you know, something that I did or the feeling that I had undergrad, I felt like it was a race. I was like, okay, I got to get my bachelor's degree and then I have to get my master's degree, right? And I, I will say that, that when it comes to certain degrees, like having a master's in business administration and marketing, it is instant gratification because you're put in there right away and then you're expected to learn the field, to be the expert, to provide all this data research. But the good thing about that is that it's always changing as well, right? The mm -hmm. consumer behavior from last year prior to COVID is very different now, you know, totally. while we're in COVID. And so that's the thing that I love and admire about, you know, having a business major or a marketing major is now I'm able to learn now the new behavior and patterns, you know, during a pandemic, right? Totally. Um, so I just think that's important. I'm glad that you were able to, to provide, you know, that advice because sometimes, you know, there's that expectation of, oh, as soon as I'm, you know, get my degree in, in, in med school, then I'm done. And it's like, no, like you still need to <laughs> have a residency. Right. You still, you know, there's, there's a whole pattern, you know, to get to where you are. Exactly. Um, so with that being said, like what motivated you to become a doctor? Like what was there a particular, you know, um, instant in your life or experience that you said, you know what, like that is something I definitely want to do. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great question. So, you know, as I mentioned before, I had I have a few um, theas that are in, in nurses, and so you know I kind of talked with them a little bit. But when I was when I was in elementary school, I always remember telling my mom that I wanted to be a cardiologist. And now that I think about cardiology, I'm like, heck no! I'm glad I didn't become a cardiologist. It's an amazing field, but it's just you kind of fit, you kind of become the type of doctor that fits your personality. Mm -hmm. Like when we were in med school, we always kind of could pin people for like what they were going to be like, Oh, she's going to be an OBGYN. He's going to be a internal medicine doctor. She's going to be a surgeon or whatever the case may be. But 
Doctors um, have personalities? Yeah. No way. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Not the ones I've had, but I love that. I know. I know. That's another thing we got to talk yeah. about. But um, you know, the thing that that's the thing about about me as as far as you know how I decided to go into medicine is my sister, my middle sister, did end up having to have um, a a, a ear reconstructive surgery. Um, when she, uh, uh, actually a couple of them, when she was in, you know, in grade school and I, as an older sister, you know, I was old enough to kind of understand and appreciate what she went through. And, um, you know, I remember going to the hospital when she was, when, after her surgery post-operatively and kind of seeing my mom go through taking care of her. And I remember the doctors talking to us and, and they were, you know, they were just amazing. And, and so that kind of sparked my interest. And then when I was in high school, my mom actually worked in um, at a hospital, but as, as a volunteer coordinator where she would have people mm -hmm. from around the city come and help the volunteer in different parts of the hospital. And so I was able to kind of get in to, you know, check out the hospital kind of through her program. And she had a friend who actually was a OBGYN out of all doctors that she knew she had this one Latino physician who was a male who basically told her, you know, if your daughter wants to come with me, she can check out, you know, what I do. And, and so it kind of ended up just being fate where I um, was able to kind of shadow him um, during the summer, during some summers. And also, you know, before I actually got into med school. And so I think it just was meant to be, but I think, mm -hmm. I think my, my sister's surgery and me seeing kind of what she went through and, what my family went through, that definitely helped solidify me considering medicine. And I think that's very important to know that, you know, you had family within the medical field, you know, your sister went through, um, you know, her, her surgery and the services that she needed, right? So you, you started seeing patient care at an early age, right? Exactly. Being the oldest, you know, having to understand that, possibly explain a lot of those services, you know, to your parents. Right. Um, and then now your, your mother, you know, works in, in, you know, the medical field as a volunteer coordinator. And now you have, you know, this, this gateway, you have this, this door of opportunity that was available to you. Right. And exactly. a lot of people think, or, or, or have come across individuals that want to get into the medical field that have family members or know someone, but it's almost like they're making it a little bit harder for themselves because they're either afraid to ask or feel like they're going to get turned down or fear of rejection. And sometimes it's just right there at your doorstep, right? Exactly. And yeah. you have to ask. And the fact that you were just like, you know what, let me look to see what my mom does. And then that turned into, Hey, I met this Latino physician. And then, you know, so sometimes you don't know where you're going to get the inspiration or, or, or where you're going to fall in love with the field or find your purpose, you know, right. in life until you have those experiences. Right. And I mean, you know, and I think, I think I was lucky that I was able to to have that little, like you mentioned, like that was a great way to put it, a gateway to medicine. But even if you don't have, you know, your mom as a volunteer coordinator mm -hmm. who has connections with, with physicians or you didn't experience medicine, at, you know, at a young age with a family member, I think if you, you know, if, if you, if that's something that you're passionate about and you're interested in, you just go out there and, and do what you can do. You know, you can apply to be a volunteer. You can apply to work as, um, you know, as a, as a scribe in a meta, in a office, you can do a lot of different things to try to just kind of get you that your foot in the door to kind of see like, do I really want to be a doctor? I mean, a lot of people say, 
oh, I want to be a doctor because I want to help people or I want to be a doctor because, you know, it's, it sounds like it's a, you know, a, a profession that's, you know, very well sought after and it's something that you could have a good career in. But I mean, being a doctor is amazing, but there are a lot of things about it that as a young kid, when you think you want to be a doctor, you really don't end up figuring it out or knowing about it until you get to talk to the other doctors and get to kind of experience the medical field from the real side of it. And so I think, I think for all women who are listening and thinking about going into medicine, definitely try to get your, you know, your foot in the door and see as much of it as you can before you actually make that big commitment. That's so true. And that's, that's great advice because some, like you said, unfortunately don't have those opportunities and so they're going into it thinking they want to do it and then by that time it's too late they're already invested and then your heart's not in it right um so i think that's important to to definitely look for internship opportunities or volunteer opportunities in the field um that you're interested in the demographics that you're interested in so then you get hands-on experience and then decide you know and, and, and if, and if it's not for you, that's still okay. Right. You know, to kind of give yourself permission to be like, I tried it. This is something that I thought I wanted to do. Maybe I should do it in this field or, or let me try a couple of more just to make sure that I'm certain. I think that we, we've come across, you know, certain decisions in our life where we feel like, oh, well, I already made a decision. I can't, I can't turn back around, but yes, you can. And the same goes with your education. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, to especially women who think they may want to do medicine. I mean, there's so many aspects to medicine that can require a higher level of education. Like maybe you, maybe you, after you go through it, you may realize actually, maybe I'm I'm better suited to become like a health, a hospital administrator or do like a, Mm -hmm. a hospital administrative master's degree or, or something else that is not necessarily patient care related, but you're actually on the bit more on the business side of, of medicine. And so I think once you put yourself in that, you know, in that, once you give yourself that ability to kind of explore and kind of see what you really like, I think you'll end up finding what fits you and what suits you best. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, that that's great advice. So when, when you decided, okay, you know, you, 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 you've been, um, you, you were in a hospital field, you see what your mom was doing and you came in contact with this OBGYN. What did you do next as far as researching, you know, what you needed to do to get to that level? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically that was kind of like the summer between my high school and, and and university year where I was kind of exploring options and trying to see if that's really what I wanted to do. Um, even though I had shadowed him, I still wasn't a hundred percent sure. And so, and I actually doubted myself. I mean, I actually went into my university, which is the university of Texas at Austin, which is the biggest, um, of the biggest university in the country, but definitely in Texas. Um, and I actually went in as pre-nursing because I thought, you know what? I mean, being a doctor sounds amazing, but I don't think I can do it. You know, I, I just didn't, I didn't really have anything other than the fact that I had experienced it. And I thought I always wanted to do it. I just, I just, I don't know. There was something that was holding me back. So then I went through the first semester of um, my pre-nursing classes and 
you know, it was, it was already a hard transition because I'm going to this big university. No one looks like me. I'm trying to figure out how to get here and there and all, you know, all these other things that kind of, you know, kind of play into your, your role as a new college student. And eventually I just, after a couple months of my classes, I just said, you know what, I don't, I don't really like this. I mean, I really don't think that this is for me. And so I, I remember talking to my tia on the steps of my dorm my dorm building and and she's like you can do it man just do it just change your major and just see what happens and i'm like okay <laughs> so then so then i i literally like that next day go to talk to my counselor and i tell and i tell him and he actually was really really supportive i say look this is what i'm thinking i actually think i want to go to pre pre-med instead of pre-nursing and then he's like okay then let's start getting the process rolling let's do this let's do that and while everyone was switching switching from pre-med to something else, I was going from pre-nursing to pre-med. And people, all my friends were like, what the heck are you doing, Erica? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Just, I'm just going to see. trying to get out of it. You're trying to get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to see what happens. So, um, you know, and it actually ended up that maybe maybe it was a, it was actually a better thing for me. Maybe God wanted me to go in as pre-nursing because what ended up happening was I had, I kind of got through the first semester of just being a new college student and I didn't have those like super, super hard classes. It, I kind of eased my way in. So that was the first thing that helped me. The second mm -hmm. thing was I ended up meeting pre-med students later that had already taken the classes like the semester before me. So they were actually able to help me and give me a lot of tips like go with this teacher, don't do this, don't do that. So that helped me a lot. Super too. valuable. Yes. I mean, and you can never ask enough questions and I'm real chismosa. So I'm like, okay, go ahead and tell me what, <laughs> what don't I have to buy? What, what notes, what tests, you know, mm -hmm. this and that. I got all my, all the good info to do well in my classes. And so, you know, it ended up working out and, and I, um, I think it, and I think it was, it was for the best that I actually started out as pre-nursing. But then once I got into my pre-med classes, you know, I had to really buckle down. I was used to the school. I was used to my routine and I was able to do well and find the right people to study with. And, and it just kind of, it just, it just basically kind of went from there. And, you know, when you do pre-med, you have to take the MCAT, which is this admissions test that they want you to take um, as an undergrad or, you know, whenever you're considering applying to med school, but usually take it after you finish taking your pre requisites which are usually like the chemistries the biologies um and the calculus and also the um the physics which yes i never use anything <laughs> i mean a little bit but pretty much not much of what i learned in in there but um the mcat was a difficult exam i mean we you know i've never you know, prep for something like this, but I did have to do a, a course that, you know, I had to pay for and was expensive and I had to go, you know, every couple of days and to the lab and practice tests and this and that. And so, you know, that was difficult too, but once I took that test, you know, I did okay. I, did, I wouldn't say I did great. I think it has a different scoring system now, but, um, you know, it was, I think, I think, even nowadays, they still look at that MCAT score, but they do look at the whole applicant at, you know, they look at the applicant as a whole versus just like a certain score. I think some schools do look at scores because they want to 
boast that, you know, their MCATs, their students come in with an MCAT of, you know, this number. Mm-hmm. But um, at least at the schools that I applied to, they seemed receptive to just looking at you as a whole student and what you could offer the student body. So that was, that was great. So tell me a little bit more, uh, more about your pre-med experience as far as the colleagues that you had. Did they look like you, your professors? I mean, I know you said you're in Texas. Uh, I'm not familiar with Texas. I know there's a lot of Latinos and Latinx there as well, yes. but I don't know if that's the same for the pre-med major. Yeah. So, you know, at, in, at UT, our pre-med classes were, you know, having students or class sizes of, of up to a thousand students mm-hmm. at one class. And this is like for the organic chemistries and the usual, the chemistries and biology is just a big old room full of, of you know, kids are, kids are the same age who are just trying to get through the, the pre-med. Like the seminars. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, no, there was not many, many students that looked like me, you know, but I, for some reason, we tend to gravitate towards those that do. And we ended up, you know, just kind of forming a little tight knit network between like, you know, three, four of us, um, some um, Latinas, and then also some of my um, African American friends who I still talk to nowadays who are pharmacists who are who are amazing, super smart, and we learn so much from each other. And we just kind of, we, we just, we basically just said, look, we got to do good. We got to make, we got to, you know, prove that we were meant to be here. And we, we just, we just did it. We studied our butts off and we made, we were the organic chemistry queens, apparently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me and my friend Azuka, they're like, oh, here they come, here they come. Cause we would always make like the highest grade, but we would study our butts off and Mm -hmm. we just understood it. And we, we, you know, we were happy that we could be at the top and we knew that we were meant to be there. Trust and believe that we would be a trio if I went to your school and I took that class. <laughs> there you I'm go. Like, um, excuse me, to my homegirls. Don't be making fun of them, okay? <laughs> exactly. And some, some people would be like, can we study with you? And we're like, no, I'm sorry. Like, it's only like a certain... Not because, you know, yeah. not because we, but it gets to be too big. Like, you mm-hmm. start talking. You start you losing the focus. Right. So it was just like a select few of people that we knew we were going to focus. We were going to, we were going to work hard, but play hard and we were going to get it done. And that's That's great. That's really what we, that's, that was our motto basically. So when you completed your pre-med major, so what, what is the actual bachelor's degree title? Like what's the program? Sure. So you can actually, you can actually major in anything you want. You just have to finish a certain um, curriculum to be able to apply to med school. And that's considered the pre-med, you know, portion of your degree. But because I had switched my major, um, you know, after that one semester, I still wanted to try to finish in four years. So I, the way I caught up was I just basically did the degree that was going to overlap most of the pre-med classes too. So I could kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone. And that was just a, a biology degree. So it okay. was just a simple, you know, um, College of Natural Sciences degree. And then I did some classes over the summer that were just ones that didn't really matter to my major, which were like the governments and the histories that you just needed to get done. I did them to boost a GPA and boost the credits. Mm -hmm. Right. I just had to get the credits and, um, at, you know, some of the call summer, what's it called? Like the community colleges over the, over the summer. 
-hmm. So I did end up getting to finish in the four years. And so it ended up working out, but, um, you know, we had, I always want to remind um, students, you know, that go to community, you, you can still do well at community colleges, you know, you can finish, you can finish your degree quicker or learn a couple new, you know, get into some new classes that don't maybe aren't offered at your, at your university. And so I think, or even start out at the at a community college and transfer into, into the university. I, I started at UT and then I would, and then I would do some classes in the summer for at community college and either way that you do it, I think it's great and use that community college to, as your, to your advantage. And I think that is such an important tip. Yeah. For because sure. that is something that I didn't learn until later. Right. And so one thing that you said was you looked for a degree where your degree in biology and the pre-med courses overlapped. And that is so important because had you picked, you know, let's just say Latino studies, you definitely would have to take every single class in the pre-med, you know, section um, or in another degree versus having those overlap. So that's why it's important when you choose a, a minor or a major or a designation that you pick something that is somewhat relevant, that's gonna help you. Exactly. Either if your goal is to graduate within those four years or to have multiple degrees or whatever that goal is, definitely take the time to review what the what's required of you. Exactly. Um, because that helps out a lot. And I felt that that definitely helped me when I was at City College of San Francisco was when I saw the major of Latino studies and I saw, you know, the comparison within SF State, I, I definitely wanted to go to SF State and I wanted to do it sooner. But my professor was said, if you take these classes here at City College, then you don't have to take them at SF State. It's cheaper to take it at a community college. Yeah. And when you go into SF State, you can focus on elective classes, right? Classes that are not necessarily in your program, but you want to take like a, ra a race and resistance class. You want to take another ethnic studies class, right. which, you know, will still count towards your major and your degree completion, but now it's an elective that you took, you know, and wasn't required, right? Exactly. And so I learned that early on. I'm like, you know what, that makes sense, right? Like, <laughs> so that's why I, I transferred over with more credits than I needed to at SF State. And I even graduated with more credits after SF State, only because I had those extra credits as cushion. Exactly. Um, That's perfect. You know, at the end of the day. And I didn't learn that until later on, later on in, in, in my program. And the other thing that you said was, um, oh, I already said it, which is take the most classes at community college. A lot of people yeah. think that, you know, um, they, you know, they definitely want that prestige of being in higher ed courses. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But it is more expensive. And Going into my MBA program, I didn't take stats. I was that one where I was like, I don't want to take stats. I don't want to take algebra. <laughs> I don't want to take biology. Christina was, was trying to avoid it. She's I'm like, like no, can no. we just eliminate these? So I took geometry and I took, it was like geometry for liberal arts major. Perfect. I'll take that one because I did not, I literally was like, I felt I do not have confidence when it came to math, especially statistics, right? Um, me personally. And so sure. when I took those classes, um, it eventually ended up biting me in the butt because when I got my MBA, they were like, yeah, you need to take statistics and you cannot wave it and it cannot be, you know, yes. worked around. And so my counselor was said, you can take it here at Notre Dame, which is an arm and a leg for a math class. And if oh, you know, sure. you may not pass or you're having struggle with it, 
you know, it's going to be difficult. So you might as well take that at community college and just make sure that it's transferable to our university. And, and it's those things where it's like, uh-huh, I hadn't, you know, like, yeah. when he says it, I'm like, well, duh, but it's sometimes you're just so focused on like, I just want to get in. I just want to take my classes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to graduate in two years that you forget sometimes how to properly prepare for the major that you're going right. to. And I think, I think using your like counselors and using friends that have done it before you use them to your advantage. I mean, they know the little trick, the little tricks and, and secrets that get you to your, and that's real. I mean, especially in medicine, when it's like, it's like such a long road, it's like any little trick or any little secret that you can do to help yourself out and to make it that just a little bit easier for yourself you need to do it you need to go ahead and start asking yeah because you pry down and start asking exactly exactly (laughs) so you finished um your bachelor's degree and now you're looking into medical school do you need to have a master's to get into medical school or can you transition from a bachelor's into medical school as long as you meet the requirements of the GPA and the curriculum that you took at the previous college? Yeah, that's a really good, good question. Um, so you actually don't need a master's. You can just use your bachelor's in, and um, transition into med school. They, um, the way that Texas did med school admissions during my time of, of applying and you know this is this is um you know over 10 years ago but basically what they would do is you would put in a centralized application online and then every school would get and then you choose which schools you would want to apply to of course you might as well just apply to all of them because you're they're going to it's easy to for them to get your application and then they offer you an in person interview and once you once you get go to the interview sometimes you have to do secondary applications and write and you know an essay or they want to interview you again or whatever the case may be but they'll essentially the schools will rank the students based on who they want from you know first to last of who they interviewed and then each applicant will rank the schools from first to last and then that computer system has some algorithm where it kind of like matches you up with the school based on your rank list and based on their rank list. And then one day in, I think it's maybe if for us, I think it was like April one, on a specific day, you go onto the website and then it says if you got in or not. And I was, I was so, so scared. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to look. I was like, okay, I'm going to look. No, I'm not going to look. Okay, I'm going to look. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, basically that, that's the way it goes. And then I ended up getting into med school at, um, I was in Austin for undergrad and I got into med school in San Antonio, which is just an hour South, um, down the I-35. So that actually worked out perfect. And, and San Antonio is a really good, good city. And the med school was, I had a, you know, I, I felt like I was a good fit for that school. And, um, it ended up, it ended up being great. It ended up working out really well for me. And what is the uh, medical school called in San Antonio? It's called the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. Oh, okay. UTESCA is like the the acronym. And they have a dental school. They have a a physical therapy school, I believe. They have um, 
they have a, a couple other allied health professional schools there. And so it's a big, big complex. It's a really nice, you know, it's a very nice campus. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, and it, the beauty of our school is that in which most, not all schools have this, but our school is affiliated with a academic or a teaching hospital. So when you are a med student rotating through your, your rotations, that those patients are your patients and you actually, you know, you get to do a lot of hands-on and learn from them. Whereas like some, some med schools, they just have to go to like a private hospital and they have to kind of learn from, uh, you know, private attendings. But our school, you know, was the opposite of that, which was really, really good for training. And so I'm happy that I got in there. It was a good, it was a good school. So it sounds, it sounds like one of the, one of the advice that would be beneficial for those looking into med school is to look at the type of practum, right? That yes. they offer rather they're affiliated with a hospital or an academic um, sure. environment, right? Where you have patients of your own and you're able to apply those practices. Or if you have to do the work and look for a, an approved private practice, right? Because I'm sure you have to get that approved through, you know, like a committee and so forth. Right. And then have that one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, experience, but also ensuring that the, the field that you're getting into and the patients that you're able to see also align with your goals, right? Exactly. You can find a doctor, you can find, you know, an area just because it's closer to my house or whatever that looks like, but then you may find that you're in, you know, in that particular experience and not feel like you're getting, you know, the necessary tools and resources that you need, you know, to, to gain that experience and be the expert in that field. Right. And, you know, being, because I ended up um, getting into the, my med school in San Antonio, there are a lot of, it is a very big Latino population, a lot of Spanish speaking patients. So, and that, that was how I, envision myself you know and focusing on that population and training and learning you know how to bet you know um serve that population the best and so that actually helped me too to kind of guide my goal into what i wanted to do and and so you know getting into med school is not easy i mean i i like i said my mcat wasn't the highest it wasn't horrible but it wasn't like a super high grade i was probably like average maybe even a little below average but i think what how i presented myself as a whole to the you know application committee and what i could offer their school and how i could offer you know what i could offer to the community as a physician later down the road as an attending at the point where i am today i think they saw a little something in me and said you know i think we should give her a shot and so you know sometimes you don't get to choose what med school you go to mm -hmm. and and i think and i and i don't even you know what i may have ranked one other school higher than san antonio i think it was my second choice and maybe it was just because i thought i i did better on one interview than the other and i maybe wanted to increase my chances i can't re remember right now off the top of my head but i think um you know i think if you if you if you have the opportunity to get in and you're and you you worked hard and you sh and can show that you are meant to be there i think you're i think where you end up getting in it either way it goes it'll it'll work out you'll figure it out it'll be mm -hmm. fine for you and and you'll do great that is so empowering to hear because sometimes we're so focused especially as latinx 
students, especially being the first one, right. you are more focused about GPA and the classes that you take and just perfecting that because, you know, we're not, we're not getting that support that we need or, right. or, you know, people are looking at us like, oh, you know, they're Latino, they may not make it, but it's not just about your transcript, right? It's not just about exactly. your courses and your GPA. To some universities, yes, you know, there has to be some type of criteria. So definitely try to meet those, but also try to be strong in other aspects of, you know, becoming a doctor or going into med school, right? What you said, it could be personality, it could be work experience, you know, definitely look for, for other strengths um, that's gonna help you within your application, your interview process, your speaking, you know, communication skills, like all that comes into play, you know, I'm sure yes. when selecting a candidate, you know, into med school. Mm -hmm. I, and that's exactly, you said it perfect, Christina. That's exactly, exactly what I want these, um, you know, everyone listening to realize. And so that there are a lot of women who are, would be considered also like a non-traditional student, which, you know, I get a lot of um, DMs about that. You know, I've had this career for this many years and I'm, you know, I'm 35, I'm 36. Now I want to consider med school. What do you think about this? And, you know, that actually makes you a stronger applicant because mm -hmm. you have life experience. You, you can, you can actually, you could be a better doctor because you actually have lived life and you know, you know, you didn't go straight out of college into becoming, uh, you know, uh, into going to med school. So that, mm -hmm. that I would say, just do it. I mean, just try. I mean, it is hard there's a long road ahead. It's expensive, but if that's really what you want to do, I think you, you should at least give it a shot. And I think that's true because now, you know, I've looked at research that employers are now looking at work experience, right. To mm -hmm. determine, you know, the culture fit, you know, the, the value that you bring into the organization. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in, in med school, for sure. You need the degree, you need the, the right. practice for that. Absolutely. But, um, in other areas of, of industries and, and employment, um, they are looking at employment, you know, and I definitely admire someone that has work experience and then decides to go into med school because, again, it's something that is a commitment. It's not something that's going to be instant gratification. If you see yourself going into med school in your mid-30s or 40s or whatever, you know, age that you're in that you came to that realization, more power to you, you know. There's nothing that says that you can't do it. It's just that we're conditioned to already have our life together, right? At a certain age, be married, have kids, have your degree. And I know people that are still trying to figure it out and that's okay. I would rather have you still trying to figure out and try to explore and discover yourself than you be committed to something just because you started it and are afraid to maybe make a right turn or a left turn, you know, that's also okay. So I definitely like that that advice that you're giving to people about, you know, if they're looking into transitioning, you know, at a later time in their life, that's perfectly okay, you know? So now here are the resources that can help you get into med school, right? You already went through it as a young college student, but, you know, now, you know, at, at the time that you're in now, it's like, yeah, now you're more fit. Now you're, you have more critical thinking skills and you have the exactly. personality and the characteristics to uphold, you know, I'm, I'm very sure just what it sounds like med school at like, you know, 21, 22, 23, it's very <laughs> difficult compared to like when you're in your thirties, you got your shit together. You're just like, you know what? I can do this. You know, I've been through all this stuff already. Exactly. There should be no piece of cake, you know? Exactly. I agree. That's great. 
So what is one experience that you can share with us that, um, that was like an obstacle or a challenge while in med school, right? Because like you said, there are different challenges, different practices, different patients, right? Um, what is something that stands out that you were like, wow, okay, like this is real, you know, like this is something that I might have to be, that I will be experiencing, you know, as, as a doctora, right? Every patient's different, but there's always that one patient that was like, you know, that, that kind of like sticks out. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, let me take me, let's go, let's move a little bit further to residency because I, mm -hmm. I can't really think of a, a patient in med school that kind of sticks out of my mind. If I think about it enough, I probably will remember. But um, in residency, we, I, I trained at the, at the University of Texas, um, UT Southwestern, which is at Parkland Hospital. That's the hospital that JFK um, was taken to when he was assassinated. So it's a very famous hospital. Yeah. Um, they have excellent training programs in almost every um, every field that you can think of. And obstetrics and gynecology there is actually a very well-known, prestigious program. And I was I was lucky enough and determined enough to get in there and to become part of you know alumni of that program. And I'm so so happy that I was able to train there. Um, but I do, we used to have a little ER that the first and second year residents would, would basically run and manage. And I remember it was a women's, it was a woman's ER. So basically all the female patients that would come through who were pregnant or had ovarian cysts or ectopics, um, they would, we would see them as a first or second year, um, resident. And we had we had a lot of on on hands and a lot of great training through that um, program, and so I remember one time a um, a patient came in because she had um, she kept complaining of uh, vaginal discharge, and so you know she she's like you know I've already seen my primary care doctor a couple times and you know, I just, I just can't, you know, I, I just keep having this discharge and I just don't know, you know, what to do and I hate it. And so I said, okay, well, you know, let me, let me examine you. I need to check you kind of see what we're dealing with, you know? And so I thought, oh, it's going to be easy. You know, it's like, I'm just going to go in there and do a swab and I'm going to give, tell her she has bacterial vaginosis or a yeast infection or something. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I go out, so I go in there and we, and I start examining her and then I, I actually did her speculum exam, which is the instrument that we use when we perform a pap smear, but you don't have to perform a pap smear if you just use a speculum, it's just to visualize the cervix and the vaginal area. Mm -hmm. And, um, she ended up having a pretty large cervical tumor there mm -hmm. that ended up being cervical cancer. And I asked her if her doctor who kept just giving her these antibiotics if he had ever examined her and she said no. And so I actually, as a resident, called that doctor and I told him what was going on with this lady because, you know, it's it's one of those things that really shows she was African-American, not saying that that's why he didn't examine her, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, as women of color do end up having, you know, healthcare disparities and and there's a lot of barriers that that we tend to see for Latinas or for African American patients. And you know, it really broke my heart. I I was I I just 
it, it just, it pissed me off because he didn't examine her and it, and it pissed me off because she didn't have to have an advanced cervical cancer just because she complained of the same thing. And so I think, I think, you know, when I see those kinds of cases, which, you know, I really don't see nowadays in private practice, but in remembering my training, you know, sometimes we get so busy as, as physicians or in any field that we're in, and we just kind of want to hurry up and we got to get through it because we have like 10 more patients left to see. But those kind of cases, I always remember those things. And I'm like, no, I, I you know, I need to check this lady or I need to go the extra step and do this for her. And I, and I need to double check this or that because it can make a big difference in someone's, you know, life, literally, um, and in and in the way that we provide care for these ladies. So I, I just, I just remember that. And I just always tell, I always, I kind of use it as a message to tell women, even though you have something that you know is not, you know, it's common, but you know something's not right, and your doctor doesn't check you or doesn't go the extra mile to do an extra test or an extra exam, be an advocate for yourself and say, no, you know what, I think you need to check me. Or even though you don't probably don't want it, you know, do do speak up and say, say what's on your mind and tell us, you know, we know something's wrong, we know something's not right. And we and you know, and as a physician who took the Hippocratic oath and knows that we shouldn't do any harm, we have we have to do the right thing. Man, that is that I mean, definitely that is something that, you know, it's disheartening to hear, you know, and and we, and you know it's gonna happen, right? In the medical field. You can't save everybody and not everybody's gonna have the same successful outcome, you know, with treatment. Right. And two things come to mind when you said that. One, absolutely schedule for your pap smear and do your annual, ladies. <laughs> I am due for mine and thank you very much for the gentle <laughs> reminder. <laughs> and number two is that it's unfortunate that it took a Latina, another woman of color, to fully examine, to actually perform the service that should have been done, right, by a primary care to Ooh, say, or right. the attending, like, absolutely right. Like this is your patient. Now she's coming to me as a, as you know, as a resident, as a resident, right? As as a second opinion, third opinion. Who knows how many opinions she's had or, or many doctors she's seen at that point? So, absolutely, it's just as disheartening to hear, but it's also assuring to hear that you know that you were able to 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 you know, um, yeah. To see her and and perform the services and and now inform her and put her on a path to recovery, right? right. And, and and guide her to the resources that she needs and and the help that she needs. And so, and that's very important, you know. Right. And um, I definitely love how you said that we have to be an advocate of our own bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, stay educated and informed with the way that your body reacts. My body is different from your body, and although yes, the women productive cycle and the way that we're supposed to function yes we all have the same thing but functions differently on certain occasions certain exactly you know times in our life and we just have to make sure that we're able to to voice that and I sometimes tell my sister because I told her like god forbid something happens to me and you know and they're trying to figure out like well what happened to her you know my husband's not going to understand so sometimes I'll tell my sister like I got my period today it is extra flowy i'm having <laughs> cramps you know i had a switch right. tampon brand so right. if i'm in the hospital you, you can know say exactly. you know what my sister was complaining 
and that helps, you know, because yes. you definitely want to have like another um, support system or someone else to know, you know, and sometimes it could be private and I understand that, but right. find someone that you can trust exactly. um, because they can also give you guidance or, or, or kind of guide you, you know, to something, you know, holistic on how to heal. Right. Right. I agree. So I think that's, that's very important. So now you have your private practice after you've completed your residency, you have your uh, medical degree and tell me a little bit more about your practice. Like, I know you said you're a board certified OBGYN. What does that mean? Cause when I look for a doctor, I do see board certified. I don't see birth uh, certified. Yeah. And I've had experiences with my son who's had febrile seizures and that's a whole nother story that we could talk about. But when I had to look for a neurologist and I had to look for a pediatrician or a, a developmental pediatrician, best believe I was looking at their history, their residency, what titles they had, because I wanted to make sure that I was going to an expert specific to febrile seizures, specific to a pediatrician that I later find, found out that I needed to handle my son's care. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so basically what that what that entails is for for every specialty it's a little bit different but for OBGYN you have to collect cases of all the deliveries that you did for a whole year, all the surgeries you performed for a whole year and and essentially almost every patient you've taken care of or a certain number of patients you've taken care of for um, in regards to different topics in female health. So you have to compile like this really big packet or book of all, all your patients, but it's de-identified. So there's no patient information. It's just more like I saw this patient, this age, this history, and this is what I did for her. Um, because they want to see how you practice as a physician. They want to make sure that you're you know, following uh, the standard of care and you're following evidence-based medicine. And you have to go to Dallas, which is the, the site. It's, it's kind of, it's next to my, where my residency is, but it's the site of the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, I think it, it's there because it's in the middle of the country because all the OBGYNs have to go there for this test. And it's also next to my residency, which like I mentioned before, it's a well-known residency program. And a lot of the doctors who train there are kind of in charge of that board. Mm -hmm. And so um, you go, <clears throat> excuse me, and you do a, a test, a written test, where it's, it's sort of on a computer. Um, and, and that's over a certain amount of time. And then you actually have to do a uh, oral test or oral board test where they present a patient to you or they ask you about the treatment or management of a patient that you have in your, on your um, list. And then they kind of, you know, make sure like, okay, well, what would you do? You know, okay, Dr. Montes, you did this, this surgery on this patient. Now let's say she starts having bleeding. What medication would you give her or what kind of suture would you use? Or, you know, what would you do next? And, and, and then let's say she went home and she called you and told you this, well, what would you do in this scenario? Or you have a pregnant patient and she's 32 weeks pregnant and she's four centimeters dilated. What are you gonna do? You know, so they give you scenarios of things that you are likely going to see every day in your practice. And they just wanna make sure that you 
you are going to practice in a way that you know you're providing safe care for patients, you're, you're following the guidelines. And I think that's important because it's kind of, it's standardized. They know that you're, you know, a good human being, you're doing what you need to do to take, to provide good health care to these women in, in, in our country. And um, after a couple weeks, they, you know, they'll do a scoring on you. And it's other doctors who are already board certified who are the ones that are, you, you know, you're in front of a panel of them. They give you a score and then they decide if you pass or not. And so it's a little nerve wracking, but it, it actually wasn't too bad. I mean, I did it actually my first year in private practice because I wanted to get it out of the way. Some people do it two, three, five years in private practice. Um, but I had enough patience to be able to submit my case list. And um, it wasn't, I mean, it was hard. It's nerve wracking because, you know, you're talking to someone and they're like, they're kind of like, asking you all these questions like back to back to back and you're like oh i hope i'm saying the right thing but i mean if you know what you're doing and you, mm -hmm. you had good training you'll you you know you'll you'll get it you'll do do well and and you'll become board certified but after you do that and you get and you pass then every year you have to follow up with reading articles we do about 30 articles a year and you have to answer questions for that and um and so that just keeps you up to date on like new technologies and new recommendations for different topics in women's health. Wow. And, and not to diminish anyone who doesn't, who is not board certified, but I can see the path, you know, when you are seeking, you know, board certification. Yeah, it is a process. It's long-term, you know, it's something you have to be committed to. Um, you know, it gives you more, you know, of, of um, credibility credibility, you know, within the industry and you don't, you shouldn't have to practice to be yourself, right? If you, and, 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 or even practice, if you're doing ethical procedures and you're, and you are seeing patients, you know, um, ethically, right. Then this should be a piece of cake to you. And that's yeah. something that can be applied to any business, not just in medical. And I say that because I remember, you know, um, just working at a, you know, business office and, and, you know, we get audited, right. There are internal audits, but mm -hmm. it's still, it's, it's still a, a, a practice that, you know, that company uh, withholds, right. Um, with ranking, you know, people within the company and, and promotions. And I just remember my supervisor telling me if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing every day, if we're following compliance, if we're following for housing, if we're whatever we're doing, when they come and audit us or shop us, we should, we should, wouldn't even be surprised because exactly. we are already doing this on a regular basis. This is instilled in our character. It is instilled in our process. So they can come and audit us anytime. And when she told me that, I was like, that makes sense. Like if I'm doing my job and supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then I shouldn't be afraid of anything that comes my way. And literally like I withhold that till this day because yeah. You know, I've, I've worked at offices or I've been around people that are scrambling and, oh my God, get this file. And I'm like, why, why are you tripping? Why? <laughs> because then you look, they open the file and I'm like, oh my God, like, how did you stay a manager for like, oh gosh, like 10 years or whatever it is, right? It just baffles me how people are like sliding through life through like chances yeah. and stuff. And then here I am like, nope, if it's not on the checklist or if it's not this, we're not supposed to be doing this. And, and that also builds your character, right? That also builds 
you know, the moral and the ethics that you withhold to, you know, whatever you put your mind to or to whatever business or practice or education field that you want to go in. So I think that's very important that the board certification has this because it also continues to keep you abreast, right, with what's going on, especially exactly. with COVID now, right? Exactly. Now I'm sure there's more than 30 articles that you can kind oh, of... <laughs> half our articles this year were, were regarding COVID. I'm like, oh, I'm like, but good. I'm like, I need to read more. I need to learn more. You know, that brings up two points. Um, you know, it is good to have that standardization because at least you know that your physician went through that rigorous test and that, you know, that rigorous questioning and, and you know, compiling all their all their um, patients to so that way someone else who is a field and the expert as well can look and say you know what this doctor knows what she's doing she is following the standard of care and she she's going to be safe and do a good job in taking care of the women in this country and then the second point i wanted to bring up is you do you remember that doctor that wasn't that I think it was in Georgia or something. I can't remember which state, but it just recently came out at the end of the year and he was performing hysterectomies and on all these Latinas coming from Mexico and things. I can't remember what state, but he, we ended up realizing that he was not board certified. And so all of the OBGYNs on Instagram um, you know, that we took that to heart and we wanted to make sure that everyone knew what a board certification entails and what it means. And so they actually came out, our American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology actually came out with like a badge and like a certification badge to, for people to put like on their websites to show that we are board certified because it makes a big difference, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think, mm -hmm. I think whenever you're looking for a doctor in any field, please please confirm that they are board certified and that they know what they're doing because you can have a medical degree, but that doesn't, and you, you could have gone through residency, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that you're, you're where you should be. Mm -hmm. And that's also advice for those in the medical field, you know, wanting to become a doctor or, or have their own practice or, or whatever that looks like to be board certified. I mean, that right. should be also on your to-do list. That's, that's a goal exactly. that you should have because if patients are looking at, you know, which doctor, um, you know, they, they want as a primary care physician and if board certification is on that patient's list, then you will be missed. You could be a great doctor. You can provide, you know, you could be ethical and, 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 and have, you know, um, great service, great patient care, but if you're not board certified, you're potentially missing out on, you know, seeing other patients as well. Um, and I think that's very important is, is educating the Latino community in that, because again, I didn't know that until sure. I started asking my primary care. I started looking like, I wonder what this board certification is. And I started to see a pattern when I was going to Stanford, right? Mm -hmm. When I was going to um, California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco that I was in when I was looking at a neurology with the neurologist, like they were right. all board certified. Right. So right. already like this level of care was like another level, right. They were making sure that my son was getting the best care and being diagnosed correctly or seeing the correct doctors. And so again, it's not until you go through something, you start realizing that, but again, I'm a firm believer that just because it was hard for me and I had to go through that, I don't want you ladies to go through that. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, um, Dr. Montes, like 
I was very just, she was, I had my eye out for her, you guys. I had her on this and I don't like scheduling things in advance because I'm more of like a, like a right now, let's do it tomorrow type of vibe. But when she was like, I can do this in January, back in 2020, girl, I was like, okay, I'm putting you on because <laughs> we need, absolutely need to have, you know, this conversation. And just with my personal experiences, it was just like, oh my yeah. God, where was she like, you know, four years ago when I was going through this stuff? <laughs> oh, honey. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I do, I do want to talk to you about is talk to, talk to us about, um, cause you, you, you know, you handle patients, you know, women patients who are pregnant, right? So mm -hmm. the whole process of, of pregnancy and I love my OBGYN. I mean, she is on a wait list. You cannot even like schedule an appointment. And I am so blessed that I can still see her after you know having my kids um to do my pap smear and my regular annuals um girl i even reached out to her when i had covid because i don't trust nobody i was like you know what i have covid totally know that's not your spectrum but it just so happened that i'm on my period too so how does it you know what i'm saying like it had to do with my body and so um so she you know she she sees me because i build that rapport with her but um talk to us about uh pregnancy and 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 certain things to look out for because again when I was pregnant with my my daughter um you know I just graduated from from San Francisco State you know I, I was getting married it was a very happy time in my life you know we're first time parents but then when I had my son you know I was pregnant going through grad school you know I was looking to finding a new home um, so I bought a new home in, in Vallejo, which is about 30 miles um, north from San Francisco. So I, I definitely had to commute. But it wasn't until my second pregnancy that I realized that I um, suffered from prepartum depression. And I didn't know what that was or even heard about it. I definitely heard of postpartum depression. I had it for like a day for with my daughter. I, I like to say a day, right? Um, but if you had it longer, it's totally okay. But it was just one incident, right. That, that I, that I say a day because that was the time where I realized it. Right. But with my son, I had prepartum where I was, um, taken off work. You know, I was able to go to school because my doctor did want me to, you know, to still have some type of normalcy, right. Of, of a right. life and, and regular activities. But I've never heard of prepartum depression and I, I felt ashamed for having it. And I didn't yeah. tell people, right. They're like, well, you're not working. Why? Oh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm pregnant. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to do something different. Like I would make up all these excuses, but I felt that my son was, for some reason, I felt like my son was a burden to people. Like it was a burden to my job. You mm -hmm. know, I just started my job. Um, mm -hmm. It was a burden to like my friends and my families because now all of a sudden I wasn't getting invited to places because I was pregnant and so I felt frustrated and I was like, let me decide that I can't go to a place or, or to go out right. to dinner or should I go to a club? I just won't dance or drink obviously, <laughs> but you know, or I will dance actually. But, um, but you know, it's like certain things like that. I felt like people were making the decision for me. And right. when my doctor had asked me, how are you doing today? That simple question, like, how are you today? And I broke down crying. She sure. was like, hold on. If I know you, you're very strong, you know, you're, you're, you're managing multiple things. And so again, it, it's those key words, right? Those trigger emotions that she saw and she put right. me on prepartum. So I definitely want to talk about that because I definitely feel like it's something that Latinas and Latinx need to know 
you know, to look out for. Right. Yeah. Sorry, ladies. I know that's a very long story, but I wanted to like really tell you guys because I don't talk about it. There is a stigma on there are, depression, there right? There is a big stigma, and especially in the in the Latino community. I mean, we, you know, we we're taught to hold things in, to be fuerte, and not not you know, you can do it. Do you know? You're a mom. You're a you're a, a career woman. You're this. You're that. But sometimes, you know, we have to step back and we have to use our resources, such as our trusting physicians or your trusting friends, to you know let them let them take the time to really ask you how you're doing and you putting it out there and letting us others know because you know i do see a lot of patients that do have or do tend to um, start with symptoms of depression or anxiety especially during the preg during the um, antepartum or the pre-pregnancy excuse me pre-partum period because you know hormones are changing hormones are raging a, a lot of uh, things maybe could be going on in your lifetime that aren't necessarily something that is, you know, usually like I feel like when women are getting pregnant, they're moving, they're trying to finish up something, this and that. And so like, there's so much on your plate at that point while you're mm -hmm. pregnant. And sometimes some patients do have a tendency towards those symptoms even before they got pregnant, but they didn't realize it or know it until they actually were pregnant and then everything just kind of piles up on them but you know nowadays because more people are talking about it and there's more information about it especially on social media and and i think physicians feel more comfortable talking about it with patients at this point um you know i de i definitely want all all the ladies that are listening if you feel as though you know something is not right, you have some thoughts, you have some symptoms, anything like that, please reach out to your doctor. Please let us know what's going on. And I feel like most of my patients do tell me because I think I have a good relationship with them where they'll feel comfortable. And sometimes they kind of feel like I'm their friend that they can talk to. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though they have, they, are, they can open up with me and let me know like, hey, this is what I'm feeling. What do I need to do to get better? So I think if you are able to establish that type of patient-doctor relationship, like Christina is able to with her doctor, um, Dr. Dupont, I think you're, I think you're, it's, it'll, it'll only help you to open up. It, and we are there to listen. We're there for you to tell us what you're feeling. Um, and we're not going to think anything less of you. It's just one of those things where we know this is a higher risk time for you in a woman's life you know, along her, along her whole lifespan that you could have these symptoms and we're here to help you. And so we want you to keep that in mind. You know, that, that is something that, like I said, girl, where were you four years ago when I was like, <laughs> no. but no, for real, it was just like, it's just those things again, that unless you go through it or unless something happens or a family member or something like you start to educating and advocating for yourself right i'm right. a firm believer of that i'm always constantly researching and looking and then finding out and asking Good. you know and, and, and even right now you know that i live in in vallejo and, and my primary doctor is in the peninsula girl i make that commute i'm like you know Good. what i'm gonna go see my doctor because i build that rapport and i love her and i'm just kind of like she understands me she doesn't think that i'm crazy i don't feel like i'm being judged because i literally talk to her like this like listen like awesome. you know because 
I love the realness of it. You know, like I'm not, this is not an interview. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm here yeah. to tell you my experience and I need your guidance and expertise. Right. So even though, um, she's in the peninsula, I also, you know, would like to have someone, you know, close by in case I'm not right. able to make that drive. So I, I do want to have that rapport with like a secondary doctor, right? Yeah, sure. And yeah, even that, I'm still making interviews, girl. Like, I'm just like, okay, let me see. Let me look at your profile. No, I don't Good. think so. And I'm not going to lie. Like I look at the photo too, and, and I'm not, I'm not really judging, but sure. I, I really have to like see myself talking. I have a problem. Am I going to be judged? You know, like, are you, even though I guess in a way I'm kind of judging them at, at that moment, but <laughs> I have that right as a patient. And I that's that okay. Right. And that's okay. I think, I think, I think you should do that. I mean, that's like with anything in life, like even if I'm going to buy something, I'm like all reading the reviews, like making sure I'm, you know, making the right purchase. Am I mm -hmm. doing this, doing that? And that's the same thing with anything in life. So for you to do that as a, as a consumer, you're being a smart consumer and that's, and that's what you should do because you don't want to mm -hmm. waste your time with someone that you already off the bat, just by looking at their picture, know that you may not feel comfortable with him or her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, that's especially, okay. and it's yeah. not, we don't take it personal because you can meet a doctor and you can say, you know what, we, we know we're not vibing. We're not, we don't have a good, we're not clicking here and that's fine. You know, there's some patients that, that that's happened with, you know, not too many, but you know, there's some here and there that, you know, we just know like maybe this isn't going to work and this mm -hmm, and that, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Cause it's, that's just the, that's human nature. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've cut physicians off. I was like, you know what? Nah, <laughs> you're not getting my insurance. <laughs> you know? So that's, my, like, that's no. my power. You're like, I've had no. doctors look at my insurance and be like, wow, you got great insurance. And all of a sudden I got all these additional medical. I'm like, mm. what the heck? It's so weird because my husband used to work. Uh, my husband works at, you know, uh, at a, at a very known medical facility. Right. And so, you know, within that, as an employee, you get their benefits. And so because I was an, I was under his employee, um, you know, uh, medical benefits, you know, they right. had to break the glass. And so they're like, Oh, okay. I can't look through your records. I need, you know, someone else to come in and, and open your file for me. And so it's almost like, because they knew that now I'm an employee of, of someone that works at the hospital, it's like the level of care change and all of us, you know what I'm saying? And they shouldn't be like that. And no. I noticed that real quick. No. Um, again, that's a little side story that I, I just, I, I just noticed, but I'm sure we all have our experiences and um, you know, we can definitely, I can definitely talk forever, girl. I definitely can. I know, and, I know. And especially I you, you. Awesome. But no, this has been really there. Um, you know, I feel these are the kind of things that I like to do because I know that someone is listening. Someone is learning something. Mm -hmm. Someone is, 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 this is motivating that even if it motivates one more Latina to go into medicine or, you know, or get a master's, I mean, I, any higher education, I'm all for it. And I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about us, you know, lifting each other up, opening doors for each other. And, um, and, and, and I think it's a beautiful thing that you're able to do this. So I appreciate you inviting me on and, and talking about everything. No, thank you so much. No, I definitely appreciate your time. And before we end this, um, this episode, I definitely want to provide you the opportunity to talk about the modern mujer. We oh, yeah. Thank we you. all follow. Um, <laughs> Doctora Montes is on fire because I just saw her, you know, uh, post, um, 
uh, she was a, a podcast guest with Marcella from Latinx and Academia, who is my also dear friend that we connected through Instagram. And I'm like, this girl is on fire. We're like interviewing the same people, which is great because we definitely should be uplifting and giving each other that platform, right? Yes. But definitely tell us, because I'm definitely going to subscribe to your blog. I mean, I took a peek at it and I was like, okay, I'm gonna need more time where the kids are not like bothering me. Yes. To really go through these articles and go through the information. I think that is such a great platform to have. Thank you, honey. Yeah, so um, really quickly, I just... um. One night when I had my third baby, I was postpartum and, you know, I just was, I got, you know, I was feeding him or something at like two in the morning. And, and I was like, man, I, I know so much now, like just as a mom, as a woman, um, as a physician, I'm like, man, I really, really have, you know, like good tips or good things that I could, you know, help other women who aren't necessarily my patients with. And so I kind of started thinking, like, how can I get more information out there, especially to Latinas and especially, you know, things in Spanish, because there are a lot of a lot of women who speak who only read Spanish, who don't really know where to go on the Internet for these kind of, um, you know, this kind of information regarding female health and things like that. So I just started thinking and all of a sudden I came up with that name, the modern blue head, because I wanted it to be kind of a bilingual name to know that it's in English and in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I felt as though I'm a modern blue head. So other women can, you know, relate to that. And, you know, initially I just wanted to focus on female healthcare and topics and like, you know, pap smears, abnormal bleeding, birth control, IUDs, sterilization, history, you know, just like general, general female health topics. But when I got on Instagram, I started finding a lot of other platforms, you know, like Christina's where I, I just, it, I kind of geared my, or I kind of shifted a little bit and I, and I kind of realized, you know what, I do want to motivate other women to go into medicine. I do want to show other Latinas that it's possible you can be a mom, you can be a doctor and you can you can have a, a, a good career, a good successful career. And so that's kind of how it evolved into medicine and, and teaching about that. And then of course I did want to add the the topic or the theme of empowerment. So basically I focus on health, medicine and empowerment and you know, I just hope that ev everyone can learn a little something from me. And I may not be as active as I would love to just because it's hard with, you know, a full-time OB as a full-time OBGYN, three kids and a household. But I, you know, I do what I can and I hope you guys can learn a little something. I love it, girl. I love it. I mean, if I could, I would share your entire, every post, like, and it's just so amazing, everything that just resonates, you know, with me and with, with everyone, you know, that, that follows you and the engagement. I mean, isn't it amazing how far awesome. we've come along? And I know we awesome. talked about it before, you know, recording this episode is, you know, we didn't have this, you know, when we were in school and, and that's still okay, right? right? But we're creating this platform for you guys to stay informed, to be inspired, empower, empowered, and educate, which is what I like to instill in, in everything that I share. And, you know, it's not all about me. I do share a lot of my experiences because that's just a person that I am and I, and I love giving information, right. but it's about you too and how we can help you. So definitely reach out um, to myself, to Erica, if there's anything that you want to learn more about, you know, you can help us guide us in the content that we create because yeah. 
We definitely want to inform our community. We want to uplift our community. Right. And if, if we can remove like an obstacle or a challenge or guide you, you know, to, to help you achieve those goals, we're all for it. You know, we're, we're sure. here as a comunidad. So exactly. I want to thank you so much for uh, being a podcast guest for Latinas with Masters. Um, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot too. Like I, I definitely don't know it all. I may sound like I do, but I'm definitely learning along the way too. Um, so I really appreciate the non-judgment. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, I had fun. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much as well. So um, again, follow the Mara Mujer, Doctora Erika Montes, and um, I will talk to you guys on the next episode. I hope everybody stays well, uh, stay well and healthy and take care. All right, you guys. Bye.